Oh man, folks. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Ineptus Stardust. I'm Ned, your host, and thank you all for being here. Uh, I just got back from Adepticon. This is Tuesday night, and, you know, I've only been home for a couple days. Finally got caught up in some of the stuff going on at home, so I felt like I needed to record something and get it out there as soon as possible. What an event. It was so much fun. I got to meet a few of you, and uh, that was also awesome as well. See some people. Handed out some free dog tags in the Heresy Room, uh, which was just hopping and crazy. If any of you are wondering, you know, how's Heresy doing? Uh, it's doing great. The Heresy Room at Adepticon was packed um, for at least Friday and Saturday. I wasn't able to get there on Thursday, unfortunately, but it was absolutely great. So today we're going to answer a few questions like normal. We're going to start a new section on heavy supports. We're going to talk about Predators to begin with because, well, I got a lot of chance to to, uh, to play with them this weekend as I brought my Iron Hands list, which was at least initially geared towards Armored Spearhead, also was eyeing um, Head of the Gorgon, and uh, give you some breakdowns of that. So to just launch right into it, the first question that I received, I had this waiting for me when I got out of things, when I got out of the hotel on Sunday morning. What did you see at Adepticon? What's the meta? What was, Were you surprised about anything? I will say this, I suspected that I would see quite a few Dreadnoughts and heavy support squads, and I... I wasn't far off. That is probably what everyone predicted the meta would be based around, and I think that's probably still true. Contemptors were all over the place. Lots of people running two or three. Thankfully, very few people running more than that, although there were a couple people, I think, who tried to run, or did run, Fury of the Ancient in, Fury of the Ancients in some of like the tag team events, which, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, lots of those, and then I saw tons of different heavy support squads. I saw less of those than I would have imagined, though, and in particular, you know, I think I saw a lot of people who were doing well to theme their lists to different things. I saw, uh, also surprisingly, as I was looking at the Facebook page, I'm going to Adepticon and Heresy Adepticon, I saw a lot of people getting tanks ready. And so it's not like I thought I was the only one who realized that there were tons of new plastic tanks available for heresy events, but I was surprised by the number of people I saw running very tank-heavy Astartes lists. Um, I'm really curious to talk to those people or some other folks because I will say this, as a bit of a teaser, my experience with the Armored Spearhead list was not so hot. Uh, and so I'm curious if other people felt the same way or experienced the same thing. I actually had a lot more fun when I switched over to um, Head of the Gorgon, which is something I was planning on doing anyway for the weekend, but it was just way more fun that way. So the biggest thing was, I think that of all the Contemptor Dreadnought setups that I saw, I saw a lot of people with Laz Cannons or Multi-Meltas, and I think that, that about makes sense. Very few people running Chain Fists on their Dreadnoughts, at least that I saw, because I think that, largely speaking, well, that, that seems to make sense with me because the standard Dreadnought Fist is with Brutal 3 is just so bonkers. I will say that I did see quite a few people with uh, Leviathans, including some pictures that I'm going to be posting in the uh, YouTube version of this podcast once I get around to doing that. And it really made me excited to put a bowling ball together because I've never actually run 
a Leviathan in any of my lists, and I'm definitely going to do that with Iron Hands here soon and some other stuff. But yeah, to answer the question, the things I was, I thought I would see and I did was Dreadnoughts and then also, you know, heavy support squads. I saw less of those than I would have thought or imagined, but it did seem to me that they were pretty present in the form of last cannon squads. As a matter of fact, I played against across the table from a very nice person named Eric, who was running, I think, at least two full squads of 10 last cannon squads for their Death Guard in the big in the Beta Garmin big event. Uh, so that makes sense anyway. That was pretty brutal. Another thing that I saw a fair amount of, which I was actually glad to see, even though, I mean, well, we'll talk about my own experience later, but uh, I saw a lot of people running super heavies or bringing like big tanks who had brought those big tanks. And I was glad to see that as well because I think the big tank thing is fun and cool, even though they did not necessarily get treated super well this edition, which is unfortunate. Next question up is a question about the fast attack slot which is not something I've talked much about yet on the podcast, but is something I'm going to be addressing in the future, and actually coincidentally more specifically later on this episode. But regardless, we're going to talk just about one thing. Uh, this this listener asked, I've got like one or two fast attack slots not filled on my force organization chart, and I need to add some anti-tank. What do you suggest? So... I really think that, I guess, depending on the amount of points that you have, there are a couple of really cheap fast attack options that are worth looking at if you're just padding out points or you want a little flair for something different. Now, if you're talking about anti-tank, then I think you can you can go with a land speeder of some kind as a pretty good choice. A Legion Javelin Squadron for the first model is 90 points, and it's only, I mean, it just... 90 again for every additional one in the squadron. That comes with the heavy bolter and the twin link missile launchers. You can replace the cyclone missile launcher with a last cannon, two last cannons, I'm sorry, for only five points, or Volkite culverins also for only five points. Of the two of them, I think the last cannon is probably the better deal. It's really cheap for two last cannons. And then any model can replace their heavy bolter with a heavy flamer for free. Don't do that or a multi-melta for 10 points. So for 15 points upgrade for 105 points, you can have a javelin which has uh, two last cannons and a heavy bolter, I'm sorry, and a multi-melta. On a vehicle that has a 14-inch move, is an anti-grav vehicle, has outflank, deep strike, relentless, hit and run, and then firing protocols four. So we'll talk more about that later when you compare it to some other options, but I'm really big on the idea of just having one of these. It, you know, 105 points is easy to find in a list. It's a reliable anti-tank source. And while they have become more expensive this edition than they were last edition, the fact that they have one hit and run, uh, the fact that they are now toughness instead of armor means that they're, you know, pretty pretty durable and they're going to do pretty well in a lot of regards. I like this one. The other thing you could do, and I know you said, the listener here said anti-tank, but, you know, I just want to point out that as a just a simple option, for something, uh, a Seeker Squad, a five-man Seeker Squad is also only 105 points. And if you're looking for something a little bit silly, something that I've been playing around doing with my Iron Hands, actually, is taking a minimum Seeker Squad of five, letting them keep their Kraken Bolters, and then giving the Sergeant the upgrade of a combo or a combi disintegrator. And 
either put them in a transport like a rhino for just 35 points so they can outflank with head of the gorgon or something but just have them jump out the back and like try to kill one character it's pretty cheap point investment for the ability to assassinate something that could be important or relevant to you and also a fun variety i mean i i don't see when i think of seekers i don't think immediately of iron hands so the idea of adding that in there just to be a little different or fun it appeals to me as well you also have the Proteus Squadrons, which are pretty good also, in particular the fact that you can take two Graviton guns on them to make them really efficient Dread Killers or something else. They also have Deep Strike. They have Relentless. These ones don't have Outflank. These, the, the Proteus ones are the, the silly-looking ones from uh, the Rogue Trader rules, but 60 points base for them and uh, for an additional 25 points to get two Grav Guns, it's not bad. Not bad at all. Some people might actually think that they're better as far as anti-armor than the other, but no. I'm of I'm of two minds about it. If I was looking for something to do with my fast attack slots that I had extra and I was trying to pad my list or make sure that I filled those things out, those are some things that I could take a one of just so that I could have maybe some visual variety in my army, but also have, you know, more impact on the anti-tank, anti-heavy, uh, anti-dread, let's be honest, portion of my game. So with two questions out of the way, we're just going to get right to the uh, the main stuff and talk about Adepticon. So I was unfortunate in that I had conferences scheduled the night before Adepticon on Friday. So I left work at 8 o'clock at night and drove to Chicago. Um, I got up early the next morning and started the tag team event with my friend Ben, Dark Apostle Ben and I. Played Loyalists for the tag team. He played Salamanders, and I played Iron Hands. And we had uh, two games that day, and we won one and we lost one. That first game was against my friend Steven from Colorado and his friend Jeff from D.C. Hello, guys, if you're listening. Great game. That was a lot of fun, and a fun one to start the day off with. They were playing Alpha Legion and Thousand Suns, and uh, we had a very good time. The next game was a victory for us, and it was against my friend Scott from Florida and his friend Tom, who I think I had met previously, uh, but didn't remember meeting. But they were playing Night Lords and Word Bearers, and I've got some pictures of their army and that game in this mix, again, if you're watching this on YouTube, um, and beautiful army, just an absolutely cool Word Bearers force. And Scott's Night Lords are just, they're, well, they're just very, very pretty. That game I played Head of the Gorgon. I ended up enjoying uh, Head of the Gorgon way, way, way more than I did Armored Spearhead. Um, you know, I thought it would be cool to run mostly tanks, and it just it wasn't as much fun as moving infantry dudes around on the table, even if you're just slapping down, um, you know, uh, t tactical squads. It's still way more fun than a lot of other stuff. So, you know, take that bit as you will. Uh, also, the outflank element of Head of the Gorgon was a lot of fun on that day, on that second game especially. So the the tag team was a lot of fun with Ben and I, and then I had a really good time. I had two games. I got to play my friend Duncan from the Accountability Buddies and my friend Josh uh, from Victoria, Texas. Josh, you will know Josh because if you've ever been at one of these conventions and you've seen the people with the super cool cups, the Horse Heresy cups, that comes from Josh, man, and I'm going to put a link to their there's stuff in the show notes here because if you didn't know about him before, man, you need to get one of those sweet cups. Um, Josh is a great guy, and it's a fantastic product. I highly recommend. But regardless, I had some just five absolutely fun games. 
So I've kind of put together, you know, and I'll give you a basic rundown of what all I did. A couple of big points that I want to make. Basically, here are my three big takeaways from the Adepticon weekend as far as the game specifically goes. All right, number one, armor this edition is in trouble. Um, so I saw a lot of people running armor in some of their lists. I saw a lot of people like me who I think really wanted to try to make armored spearhead work. And overall, I found that armor sort of underperformed across the board. Um, there were a few exceptions. I think um, land raiders and the, and the like with uh, armor value 14 are still strong enough to shrug off or at least survive some incoming fire. But a lot of the other mid-range or smaller to medium armor vehicles are in trouble. I think you either need to be a rhino so that you are so cheap that it really doesn't matter too much if you get blown up or you need to be a land raider on up so you're heavy enough that you can weather the storm. The stuff in the middle is in a bad spot. I did run one list, which was mostly tanks on day one, an armored spearhead in the doubles game, and I struggled to kill anything with my setup. I also uh, noticed that while I was struggling to kill things, my opponents with random shots from multi-meltas and random last cannons or whatever were still doing a great job of destroying weapons, immobilizing my tanks, stunning my tanks, whatever else, so that even if I was not getting just blown off the table, which eventually I kind of did, uh, my offensive output was being greatly limited. I think that's one thing I want to point out here as a big change between, in this edition, I mean, once again, we're talking about Dreadnoughts, but on armor value things, you can not only be taking off wounds by targeting that armor and hitting it, but you can also be um, removing offensive capability in other ways, limiting mobility, destroying weapons, that sort of thing. That's not something that applies at all to some of the models that have moved from armor to essentially monstrous creatures or cavalry like land speeders or dreadnoughts. And I think that is an even bigger benefit than uh, something that I had necessarily considered before. The fact that a last cannon just causes a wound on a dreadnought versus the fact that a last cannon can not only cause a wound, like a hull point, potentially one hit kill a tank, but also then has a chance to uh, slow down, limit the movement or the shooting ability of that unit as well, is huge. I think that if I were going to continue using the Predators, and I, and I have them now, so I'm going to find a way to use them, I think that I'm going to look more towards more infantry-focused lists and instead have a couple of Predators in support positions or whatever, or just for the look or feel of them in the list, but they're not going to be massed Predators anymore. I don't think they've got necessarily the super offensive firepower, and I think most importantly, they, uh, they die too easily. I think Predators still do have a role, and they're definitely something that you can do with them. And as a matter of fact, if you want to do an Armored Spearhead list, but, you know, the Predators don't even get lined, so you're going to need to take Tacticals anyway in most game setups. I mean, you can put Tacticals in Land Raiders instead and take advantage of the Rite of War and still have a, a couple of the, the Predators. But by and large, I was pretty disappointed with the work that my Predators were able to do this weekend. My second point is that uh, Weapon Skill 5 is king. And I want to talk about that in relation to a couple of different units that I saw and interacted with this weekend. So after my 
Armored Spearhead games, I threw in a couple of different lists with the Hammer of the Gorgon, or the Head of the Gorgon, I'm sorry. Head of the Gorgon has a couple of things that you can do that I really enjoyed doing. I enjoyed putting my vehicle or uh, my infantry into vehicles and having them outflank. I Several games I outflanked at least one tactical squad just for fun, had them jump out and bolter a backline or something. Was it super effective? No. Did it feel cool and, and fun? Absolutely. But I also had you know, a, t- a nine-man squad of Gorgons hopping out of Spartan because I bought 10 and I only had, I used one to convert it into a chaplain, but regardless. So, and then I would have like my Morlocks jumping out of a land raider with the Praetor. Uh, so I, I was able to take advantage of the assault vehicle rule for that and get right into combat a couple different times. Here's some things that I noticed. The big Terminator block or chunk of melee anti-tank thing. I mean, you used to be able to rely on Terminators with chain uh, fists and power fists to, like, wreck some medium armor or tear up some dreadnoughts. The fact that those things are weapon skill 4 instead of weapon skill 5, because Gorgons are, really, really, really hurts them. The Gorgons manage to jump out and kill a dreadnought which was worth approximately a third of their points. And then they were basically shut down by a Reaver squad because the Reavers had weapon skill 5. On that first round of combat, I was able to get re-rolls to hit because, you know, of the chaplain. And the re-roll was absolutely essential. So I'm definitely glad that I put that chaplain in with the Gorgon squad to try try to mitigate the weapon skill 4. But... After that first one, man, it was it was really, really rough, really tough skating. On the other hand, my Morlocks, which had weapon skill 5, had a much easier time. And in the same game that I saw the uh, Gorgons uh, beat down a Dreadnought and then get totally destroyed by a Reaver squad, I saw that same Morlock squad with weapon skill 5 kill two Contemptors. Now, obviously, there are other things at, at fact here. Mostly the the situation that the Morlocks, because they had Battle Hardened, can actually survive getting punched by a Contemptor Dreadnought. But regardless, the Weapon Skill 5 was huge in this and a lot of other situations. I can't recall now if it was last week, the previous episode or the one before that, where I talked about the defensive abilities and noted in the math that you are in fact more likely to survive an attack by a Dreadnought if you have weapon skill 5 and no Terminator or no invulnerable save at all, then you are to survive at weapon skill 4 with an invulnerable save. And, I mean, that bore true here as well. When you are behind on that weapon skill, it's a lot harder for you to kill anything and it's a lot easier for you to get squatted. And I think that's going to continue to be a thing. I know that no one who is actually important, other than all of you fair listeners, you're all wonderful people, you're very important to me, But I know there's no one at uh, Games Workshop listening to this, but the fact that Terminators are so helpless against uh, Dreadnoughts is, I think, a real shame. And if if nothing else, if there could be an adjustment of weapon skill on those those Terminators, I mean, put them up to weapon skill 5, and that would be a huge, huge, huge boon for that dead entry point. I think the last point that I'd like to make is that my trip to Adepticon showed me that narrative still lives. There were really only a few instances that I heard of of people who ran into armies that really, really 
weren't a lot of fun to play against, combinations that didn't necessarily make a ton of sense. And for the most part, people had really good ideas about what their legions were doing, were well immersed in their lore, having a good fun time talking about their story and all that sort of stuff. I saw lots of discussions like that around me. People just kind of talking about how they imagined their forces to go. And maybe most importantly, addressing like one part of the rules, which was stated, and people kind of chuckled about it, but I think it's very true. Um, you know, there is that part of the main rule book which talks about the fact that if there's a rule that you don't necessarily know, it's important to just figure it out together and to talk about uh, how things work in the game in a way that makes sense for the game. And I mean, I saw that. I literally saw that a number of places. There were some rules that didn't exactly make sense in a couple of the games that I played, and we just kind of figured out what sounded like it sounded the coolest, and we just rolled with it. You know, I heard someone else talking about this, um, someone else who they said they had come over from competitive 40K, and basically what they said was there were all sorts of discussions as their games that they saw were happening where, like, player one, like, picks up their models and says, okay, I'm going to move over here, and I'm going to do this thing. And, you know, if there was a problem with the intent of that first player, then their opponent was like, hey, you might want to think about this, do it this way, because of those rules interactions, this is going to happen, that's not going to work out the way you want it to, right? Or like characters just removing terrain in certain specific, not characters, I'm sorry, players removing terrain in specific places just because it makes something really awkward that could be really fun and cool otherwise, you know, putting it back after the interaction was over, etc., Basically, just everyone understanding that they were trying to make something cool, fun, thematic, and fluffy happen on the table, and both players working together to make that occur. This wasn't a competitive tournament where you had someone wait to catch someone else in a gotcha where hopefully something bad happened, right? Heck, the Ferex guys, which by the way, I haven't even talked about the Ferex event, and I hope to do so later tonight, or if not, in another episode, but... There was a special award given out to someone on day three of the Ferex event just because they had a really, really horrible, awful rules interaction happen in a way that made the game super unfun, and people felt bad about it. It was just, this is just the community, and, you know, if you're one of those people thinking about going to one of these events, you absolutely should just for that very reason. Things are going great in that regards, and I'm super happy to be a Heresy player. So there are 19 different heavy support options that you can find in the Age of Darkness standard uh, Lieber, Astartes, or Heretic book. And so there are lots of options to choose between. One of those is the heavy support squad, which I've already covered in another episode. And so I am not going to, I'm not going to talk about it today. But it will be the benchmark that we use to compare other things to, at least to start with. The heavy support squad has been fairly ubiquitous so far this edition. You're going to be seeing a lot of it, and I imagine most people, if they don't have one already, will pick one up. The ability to have 10 last cannons um, on the board and rel for relatively cheap points is a very efficient, destroying sort of thing. Now, if you don't want to do the same thing as everybody else, or if you just want variety in how your list looks, there's other things, of course, that you're going to pick up. Today, we are going to talk about the workhorse that may or may not still be a workhorse, the Predator. Is it good enough to take this edition? Is it bad? Uh, let's let's get into it. So first off, I find it interesting that the Predator can be squadroned in up to four Predators per squadron. The initial cost is 120 points, and every additional tank in the squadron after this is 105 points. Now, we haven't necessarily addressed this specifically, but 
there is a big problem with uh, squadroning tanks as it allows them to be more easily picked off by concentrated fire, which we'll talk about in a minute. But first, let's get through the stats. A Predator has movement 14, ballistic skill 4, front armor 13, side 12, and then rear 10, sadly. Three hull points, no transport capacity. So the movement 14 means that this thing can move 7 inches and still fire its weapons safely. So it's got a mobility option, whatever, which is cool. And it moves about as fast as, like, a a squad of Marines if it's trying to scoot around the board and still be using its power. 14, four-out armor would be nice, of course. 13 is is a bit softer, and that means that you're considerably more susceptible to things like auto cannons, um, you know, assault cannons with rend, anything like that. And side 12 armor means that if you get a clean shot at nothing but the side, then, you know, it, you're going to get punched through by crack missiles and the like as well. Something that's important to note that the way the rules changed as far as targeting side armor values is that if you can see more than one side of the armor, the owning player of the model decides which armor value you shoot at which actually is something that is of benefit to the Predator here. So if someone is standing at an angle or to the side of the Predator but can see both the front armor and the side armor, you can make them shoot against that armor value 13, which the difference between 12 and 13 is actually a lot considering how many, just how many mid-range damage weapons there are that could glance out a side 12 armor but will struggle or it will be impossible for them to do anything to a, a 13. But regardless, so the unit composition for 120 points is one Legion Predator. It has the vehicle subtype, the war gear it comes base with, a turret-mounted Predator cannon, two Sponson-mounted heavy bolters, and smoke launchers. It also gets the Legionis Astartes X rule, which means that all of these things get whatever valuation of your Legion rule, and they get to... some, Some rules are better than others, but, you know, you have access to those rules entirely. So for the options, like I said before, 105 points for every additional Predator, and there are options galore for how you want to kit this thing out. Let's start with the Sponson weapons. You can replace the Heavy Bolters with uh, three different options. Heavy Flamers for free, two Sponson-mounted last Cannons for 10 points per model, or two Sponson-mounted Volkite Culverins for also 10 points a model. So this is... I think pretty interesting to me for one specific reason. 10 points for two last cannons is quite a good deal. And this was actually brought to my attention more specifically by my buddy Josh out of Texas. Say hi, Josh. Two Sponson Mountain last cannons. This is what jumps out to me immediately. Volkite is not bad. And a Volkite Culverin with five shots, strength six, and the deflagrate rule, it's not bad whatsoever. But the last cannon upgrade on this is remarkable. Now, Consider there's a couple of things to note about the way vehicles work in this edition. Um, the Sponson weapons, the side weapons, if you are positioned in a way where your one of your Sponsons cannot fire at the same target, then it is allowed to choose another target so long as that, that target is within its proper line of sight. The, the reason why this is important, this was actually a huge problem with Sponson's last edition, and one of the reasons why very few people took them is the fact that you would very frequently be wasting points. But here, especially if you do the the upgrade of, like, a LAS cannon, you're always going to, well, not always, right, provided there is more stuff on the board 
and you're not just facing in a terrible position, you're very likely to always be able to shoot one last cannon off someplace at something. Last cannons are quite excellent this edition with the Sunder rule make, pretty much making it really, really likely that you're going to get a glance or a pen on something. And um, with AP2, they do have a chance to blow up just about anything. So this is really quite excellent. The one drawback that I can think of for this is the fact that if you get rid of your heavy bolters and you put last cannons onto the side, then you lose the ability to fire in return fire or with reaction fire. Uh, last cannon is strength 9, and that's well above the restriction for defensive weapons, and tanks can only fire defensive weapons um, you know, as, as part of like a return fire or the overwatch. Is a heavy bolter going to do all that much damage to a charging enemy? to dissuade a charge or really prevent that much problems. I mean, it's not super likely, but it is important to point out. Now, that being said, losing defensive can be a big deal. In my last game, a friend did, in fact, use a pinsel-mounted Dragon's Breath Flamer to wipe out a squad of recon marines, first by responding to them uh, through an interceptor action and then by uh, shooting them in Overwatch. So, I mean, like... Having defensive weapons on vehicles is good. There is potential for it to be good, but uh, the cost-benefit analysis, I think I would rather take, in a lot of situations, the last cannon. So the Predator has an absolute... There are a lot of options for replacing the main gun. A Predator can replace their Predator cannon with a turret-mounted Flamestorm cannon for 15 points, turret-mounted Executioner Plasma Destroyer for 25 Turret-mounted heavy conversion beam cannon for 25. Turret-mounted magna melta cannon for only 20. Turret-mounted graviton cannon for 35. Turret-mounted volkite macro saker for 25. A neuron blaster for 35. Or a gravis last cannon for 30 points. All right, so we need to go through all of that because that is a lot of that's a lot of guns to talk about. So let's start with the predator auto cannon. So the Predator Cannon, which is the base thing, is a 48-inch range, strength 8, AP 4, heavy 4, rending 6-plus gun. Okay? Strength 8 is good. Strength 8 and rending means that there you do have a chance and you will, in fact, be able to penetrate or wound uh, armor 14 if you do manage to rend. So this is good. 48 inches is a nice bit of range. AP4 is a little sad, uh, but for the rending at least makes up for it. So on average, you're looking at, because of ballistic skill 4, you're looking at uh, 3 hits, of which maybe 1 is a rend. So you're going to cause perhaps 1 death to a Space Marine because of their 3-plus armor save, and maybe a rend, you might be able to cause a wound on a terminator or whatever else however it's also really you know arguably it's at least pseudo effective against armor as well and we'll have a chance to punch through mid-range vehicles as well as you know the chance to lucky shot and take another hull point off of a land raider or something of the sort okay the other options are well they're kind of all over the place so let's talk about the flame weapon first the Flamestorm Cannon is a template weapon. It is Strength 6, AP 4. It is a heavy one, but it is Torrent 18. So you can throw this thing out super far, 
And torrent, the rule is, as long as the tip, the small end of the flame template, is closer to the vehicle than the fat end of the template, you can do all sorts of crazy stuff to position this thing and get a lot of hits. This is, like, way better, for example, of an anti-infantry option than, say, you know, a heavy bolter. Because the heavy one and the torrent is going to give you a chance to be real creative in how you position it. So you can guarantee quite a few hits. It's strength six, so it's going to wound normal marines um, very easily on a two plus. But again, there's no chance of there's no chance of negating an armor save because it's AP four. There is no rend. There is no breach on this. So they're still protected fully by their armor. It's not bad for 15 points. I mean. There are definitely worse choices you could do, but for 15 points, is it that much better at anti-infantry than the Predator autocannon or the Predator cannon that comes base in stock? Um, not really. So I would say this is, by and large, an option that you just ignore. The next option is the Executioner Plasma Destroyer. This is a 60-inch range weapon, strength 7, AP 4, Heavy one, large blast, five inches, and a rending four plus. Okay, this one uh, I I like this option. I don't I don't dislike this option. I should say for twenty five points, it's a little pricey. It's definitely a bump up in cost. Um, but sixty inches of range means that you can fire this at let's say a troubling heavy support squad of las cannons from outside their range to return fire. Uh, strength 7 means you'll be wounding standard marines on a 2+, plus, but most importantly, no matter what it is that you're shooting at, you've got a rending 4+, plus, so you're half the time going to just be going uh, to the AP2 and causing some serious problems for whatever is under that, again, large blast template. Now, is this really effective at killing dreadnoughts? Not necessarily. You'll cause one wound to that, but as far as an anti-infantry option... This is a considerably better option than for, say, let's say, a uh, uh, the Predator autocannon. But for 25 points, it is a big expenditure and maybe not necessarily, like, the most important thing for you to, to look at. If you can get four or five models or more underneath this blast template, though, you're very likely to cause at least a couple of casualties to standard Marines. Now, when you think about... If the upgrade itself is 25 points, then that means you can more or less pay for this in one shot so long as you hit. But that's, you know, depending on what you're going against. Now, if you find yourself regularly facing horde armies, then this is definitely a good option, especially if you're looking at and requiring the anti-infantry to come from armor. This is definitely something to consider. It is definitely, I would say, of the pure anti-infantry options, the best that we have seen so far. The next one is the Heavy Conversion Beam Cannon, and if you're familiar with this from last edition, you will remember that it is a little weird. So the strength and the AP of this is largely dependent upon how close you are to the target, and so that matters a lot. Um, if you're within 18 inches, then this thing has a strength 7, no AP, heavy 1, large blast, 5-inch, uh, and then a blind option with it. Uh, if it's from 18 inches, more than 18 inches, to 42 inches, it's strength 9, AP 4. Heavy 1, large blast, blind. If it's more than 42 inches, 
from 42 up to 72, which is the max range of the weapon, its strength 12, AP 1, heavy 1, large blast, blind. As far as the top end of that range, the heavy conversion beam cannon is really powerful one shot with a huge sphere of influence with the large blast of 5 inches and then also the strange and interesting added bonus of taking the initiative test for blind, which is going to reduce the targets, uh, I believe, weapon skill and ballistic skill to one. So the difficulty, of course, is guaranteeing that you've got something that you can shoot at farther away than 42 inches. Now, when you start up the game, and especially if you are clever in how you set up this tank with diagonals, you can definitely find a way to target something important or like another heavy support option, another tank, or perhaps a squad of, you know, heavy support marines hiding off under the back. And for that, the heavy conversion beam cannon is definitely a really cool option. The large blast, the AP1, and the strength 12. Strength 12 is nutty because it's very, very easy. You're going to penetrate almost everything. A land raider, you penetrate on a 3+. plus, On a 2+, plus, you glance it. Just don't roll a 1. You are going to be absolutely squashing any infantry, doubling them out for wounds, and AP1 negates the ability to take any but invulnerable saves, of course. Very strong. The difference, though, is that this vehicle becomes extremely vulnerable towards being swarmed or whatever else. Even at mid-range combat, it's, you know, essentially just like a slightly better than average bolt cannon or um, heavy heavy bolter. Um for you know when you're shooting at closer up the blind check you're not likely to see people fail the blind checks but the blind can be an added bonus but it's going to happen so regularly that i don't think you can necessarily consider it is this a better anti-infantry option than the plasma cannon well they're priced to the same points so you know the plasma cannon is only strength seven and it is ap4 with a rending four up if you can get the distance right, the heavy conversion beam cannon is more effective in that regard. But again, it's kind of this or that. Now, if you want your tank to be able to move, take territory, control, and contest areas, then the plasma cannon is not restricted by its range, while the heavy conversion beam cannon definitely is. It really comes to flavor. I like the way the heavy conversion beam cannon model looks, and I might put this on a Predator just for fun. Is it necessary? No. Um, is it super fun and cool and thematic for some legions? Absolutely. So better than some, but I would say roughly on par for anti-infantry, at least at certain ranges. But that is definitely something that's variable and not something you're necessarily going to have super much control over because your opponent might move to counter that or might move to swarm this tank. The next one is going to be super, super popular, and that is going to be the, the Melta Cannon. So the Magna Melta Cannon on the Predator is a 36-inch range, strength 8, AP 1, heavy 3, armor bane Melta, and twin linked. Twin linked is excellent here. Three shots is excellent here. 36 range is pretty darn good. It's important to note that armor bane Melta only applies when you're within half range. So this is in strength 8, AP 1 weapon with three shots, unless you're within 18 inches, and then you get armor bane. 
An armor band specifically is going to allow you to re-roll failed wounds against dreadnoughts and also roll two dice for armor penetration when you are trying to smoke another tank. This isn't this is a nice option and it's only 25 points and you know it's a it's a pretty strong strong choice to make. The big question here comes what are you running? What else are you running and do you have the ability to cover this tank? You know, if so to allow it to comfortably get within 18 inches of the enemy lines, do its job without being swarmed and destroyed by other things. Something that's important to note about predators in general is that because of the way attacking and assaulting vehicles work and the fact that most standard marines have crack grenades, which are strength six auto-hitting weapons, that a squad of tactical marines will very easily wreck a rhino or very easily wreck a predator. And so if you are putting this tank up close enough in order to try to take out or utilize that melta, um, a predator is going to be assaulted always on that back armor with a strength six crack grenade, and it doesn't take too many of them just to hull point out the vehicle. So you're going to need to provide cover for this thing to provide chaff or screens if you are not just hiding at the back of the board, holding backline objectives, if you're getting into that middle ground of the board where people are fighting for objectives and whatever else. So the Melta Cannon is quite good, but at 25 points, one of the things that's interesting to me is the question about whether or not it is actually much better than spending instead 10 points on two Laz Cannon Sponsons, which then can also similarly hull point out certain vehicles and have the added benefit of not needing to stand within 18 inches to get the beneficial three shots. I think it really depends. My current belief right now, without a lot of testing beyond the basic simple math, is that I would prefer Laz Cannon Sponsons to a Magnamelta Cannon at a 15-point bonus to myself, and then also just added chip damage and whatever it is that I can pull from the Predator Cannon. Is the Melta, uh, is the Melta Magma Melta Cannon the best option for the upgrade for anti-tank of the turret so far? Yes, but I think it is outclassed by the slightly cheaper Sponsons, and it is not necessary, strictly speaking. As a correction, I guess I should say the, the Magma Cannon actually is only 20 points, so it's only a 10-point saving, which is interesting. That definitely maybe should change things a little bit. It definitely makes the overall appeal a little higher of this upgrade, but we'll take a look at everything once we're done. So we are up to the Graviton Cannon, which is a 35-point upgrade. The Graviton Cannon is a 36-inch range, strength nil because of the grav, AP 4, heavy 1, large blast 5 inches, concussive 1, graviton pulse, and haywire. So graviton pulse is the same thing as, as on the grav gun. Um, it's going to create difficult and dangerous terrain. You're going to have to take a strength check to um, under, under your strength to avoid being wounded, but then you get a regular armor save. It does have haywire which means that on a 2+, it will cause an automatic wound to the, or hull point to a vehicle or a wound to a dreadnought. 35 points for this upgrade is, is just too much. A large blast is, is good, but the biggest thing is that you're going to shoot this gun. Uh, it's a heavy one, so you get one shot with it, and you're going to cause one hull point to a vehicle or dreadnought. You will cause the difficult terrain and dangerous terrain over a much larger area, 
but <laughs> depending that you might not care about that that might not matter that much it will cause a larger dangerous terrain area to chart to affect but it's not likely to cause all of that much damage um, if you're targeting a small squad or a dreadnought hitting with the three inch blast is just as effective for this as the five inch blast you're less likely to miss i suppose but you're spending 35 points for an upgrade that you know is not going to kill whatever it is that you're shooting at because you can't instantly kill a vehicle with a graviton pulse through haywire so yeah i just don't think this is very good okay next up is the volkite macro saker this is the turret mounted version um well these are all turret mounted this upgrade is 25 points the macro saker is a 45 inch weapon six strength six ap5 heavy eight with deflagrate so eight shots is pretty good. Hitting at ballistic skill three means you're likely to hit five times or so. Uh, strength six means you are likely to wound four to five times. But honestly, uh, for this, especially against Marines, you're only likely to cause one wound, maybe two, and then optionally a deflagrate. Not great. Not, not necessarily great at all. Um, for 25 points, it is better at least a little bit better maybe than the um, standard auto cannon, but maybe not, almost definitely not 28 points better. It's got more shots. It's got a slightly lower strength. It does have deflagrate, but it still in, you know, requires your opponent to fail their saves. I'd say this is one you skip. All right, the last two weapons are the Neutron Blaster and the Gravis Last Cannon. The Neutron Blaster is tied for the most expensive at 35 points, and the Gravis Last Cannon is 30 points. So the Neutron Blaster is a very interesting weapon. Um, it only has a 24-inch range, but it's Strength 10, AP 1, Heavy 1, Concussive 3, Shock Pulse, Sunder, and Gets Hot. So obviously Gets Hot, so there's a potential for you to, there's a potential for you to wound yourself. Um, but the rules that are interesting are Shock Pulse and Sunder. So Sunder is going to allow you to re-roll your wounds on different vehicles. And uh, the fact that this is strength 10 means that you've got a, you know, a four plus chance to at least cause a wound to a, or sorry, to remove a hull point from a strength 14 vehicle. You're extremely likely to, you're wounding dreads on a two plus, et cetera. Uh, but you can Sunder, you can re-roll that on armor um, if you need to. Concussive 3 means that if you uh, fail your test, your concussive test, you are dropping someone's weapon skill dramatically, which is hilarious for dreadnoughts. Uh, but yeah, the biggest thing is the shock pulse, which should is, is sort of spicy for us. So the shock pulse rule says that any vehicle, dreadnought, or automata unit that suffers a penetrating hit or unsaved wound from an attack with a special rule may only make snapshots until the end of its controlling player's next turn. So snapshots are just only rolling, or you're counting as ballistic skill one. And there are things that can modify that a little bit, but basically it means you're only hitting on sixes. Now, why is this pretty cool? Well, I mean, let's say your opponent is Mechanicum and you have a fairly large squad of automata um, and you pull up and you fire one shot with the shock pulse into that unit. Suddenly the entire squad now is firing snapshots next turn. That's pretty great. 
let's say you're firing into an opponent's Kratos or something, and you manage to score a penetrating hit, strength 10 into 14 with Sunder means that you've got a 33% chance on the first roll of getting that penetrating hit, and you've got a chance for a re-roll if you don't glance on the first one. That's pretty good. Is it 35 points good? Is it 35 points at 24-inch range good? Mm, maybe, maybe not. Sadly, um, this rule specifically does not say it applies to Super Heavies or Titans, which is something that was a little cheeky, and I think that worked last edition. But regardless, this is definitely an option, and definitely something fun to consider if you're just looking for something a little dumb to do with one of your Predators. I don't know that this is the competitive choice, if there is a competitive choice with Predators, but it is a pretty fun choice. The last choice is the Gravis Last Cannon, which has the exact same profile as a regular Last Cannon with one more shot. 48-inch range, Strength 9, AP 2, Heavy 2, and Sunder. So, a standard Last Cannon is plenty good, so a Gravis Last Cannon is even better. You get two shots with it. The big benefit here is that because it's a turret-mounted weapon, you do have the ability to pivot, move around, fire from different angles in ways that your sponsons aren't necessarily going to be able to. It is pretty silly when you think about the fact that you can upgrade for 10 points to get two last cannons, admittedly on opposite sides of your tank uh, for the Predator, but then you got to spend another 30 to get the Gravis last cannon. Um, it's a little bit too rich for my taste, but... I'm sure there are people out there who have and will model it like this just because a tank with four last cannons on it looks cool. Uh, I definitely think it's an option or something to think about and choose. You do have that long 48-inch range. It will be effective at looking out and hunting for other tanks, but it does pretty dramatically increase the cost of this tank into a position where I think might be just a little bit too much. So let's take a look at the whole list and see like what we think about all of these options so far. So the options are the Flamestorm Cannon, the Plasma Destroyer, conversion, Heavy Conversion Beam, the Magna Melta Cannon, the Graviton Cannon, the Volkite Macro Saker, the Neutron Blaster, the Gravis Last Cannon, or simply sticking with the uh, simple Predator Cannon. Here's how I would rate these choices. If I am rating just overall anti-tank effectiveness, I think it's a I think it's a very simple discussion between four and maybe five choices. So first off, we can't not talk about the Predator Cannon. Uh, with the high strength that it has and the ability to rend, there is a chance that you're going to be able to get extra special hits on this thing. With It's got a fair amount of shots to start with, and so for the being the default option, it's definitely not something to discount altogether. I would definitely put it at the top of the list, if not for its overall power, then for its relative cost, especially considering you might rather spend that point upgrading other things. In this discussion, we are just going to assume that you're taking two Sponson Mountain Last Cannons, because... It's only 10 points for those two last cannons, and it seems like a silly thing not to do when you think this tank is going to be trying to kill other tanks or dreadnoughts. The next choice is the heavy conversion beam. For 25 points, if you can get the range from 42 inches and beyond, strength 12 AP1 with a large blast, allowing you to hit a lot of things, cause blind, and um, just generally, I mean, it, it really helps you being able to hit with that large blind template as well. 42 inches might not be doable every time, but it's definitely a fun, flavorful thing. I actually had a really good time running mine with the Heavy Conversion Beamer at Adepticon. 
it did a fair amount of work. It blew up some infantry. It knocked a couple hull points off some tanks. It was a fun thing. 25 points is definitely something I would think about going for in the future. The next up is the Magnum Elta Cannon at 20 points. It is a pretty good deal, really. Um, the three shots that it has and the range it has is pretty good, although you do have to get pretty close to use it. Now, there are other Meltas with 36-inch range that are probably better. The Kratos, for one. The Kratos is on a lot tougher, tougher package as far as its ability to survive. I feel better about getting my Kratos within 18 inches of the enemy line than I do about getting this thing there. Um, it's kind of a hit or miss for me. I definitely could see it being useful, and you do have three shots with which to try to bait out that five-plus destroyed roll if you get that penetrating hit. Definitely worth thinking about. Neutron Blaster is fine. Um, it only has one shot, but it does have a pretty good shot too, even if you don't necessarily destroy your opponent, and you do have at least a, a chance of that with the AP1. The ability to cause it to uh, snap fire in the returning or in the next phase is definitely something that's not worth, you know, sleeping on. 24-inch range overall is going to hurt, but then again, uh, that's six inches farther away than you need to get to use the maximum capacity of your magma melta. Two shots less, but still a trade-off. Also 15 points more than the magma melta cannon. Finally, you've got the Gravis Last Cannon. It's 30 points for essentially two last cannons strapped on top of your tank. It's way more points than it is for your sponsors on the side for the freedom of having a lot more ability to aim them, which is good. I think this is my least favorite of these options, though, because I think the price is considerably too high on this one. I don't rate the Graviton Cannon just because, as I said earlier, um, one haywire hit is not going to do much to cause an overall effect on things unless you're attacking something that is squadroned or you're hitting a squad of automata or something that has, you know, been bunched together. I think if you choose any of these options, though, um, basically the main four or the main three, I guess, plus just leaving it blank on the era or leaving it basic on the Predator Cannon, I think any of those are pretty good options. Now, things are a little bit different if we're looking at anti-infantry. For 25 points as an upgrade, the Executioner Plasma Destroyer is not necessarily a bad thing. You're looking for four pluses to breach, but it does have that large blast template, and you're probably going to cause a few of those wounds. There's not a lot of other really great options for anti-infantry. The Volkite Macrosaker, unfortunately, I think, because of its lack of AP or the ability to breach, it needs more than eight shots to really feel special. The other one is the heavy conversion beam, but it's extremely limiting on the way you can position it. If you're shooting at, though, you know, a heavy support squad across the table and you can, you know, drop that on, on a heavy support squad at farther than 42 inches, you can take out a whole lot of uh, very dangerous targets with AP1 or at very least, I mean, force them to take a blind test. So I think those are my two choices for the anti-infantry option. Of the two of them, I like the style of the heavy conversion beam. But the Executioner Plasma Destroyer is probably more practical in the fact that you're not likely to be able to line up those 42-inch shots very far into the game. Now, we didn't necessarily talk about any of the upgrades, um, the Havoc Launcher, Multi-Melta, Heavy Flamer, Heavy Bolter, whatever. I don't necessarily rate any of these, quite honestly. Um, the twin-linked bolter for five points, even there, is just a little bit too expensive for what you're trying to do. I do think you could mount one hull-mounted uh, hunter-killer missile if you had the five points, 
But as far as other upgrades, I think any of these predators that you want to move should take a dozer blade so that you can get around terrain. I tell you what, I was very happy with my decision at Adepticon just to put dozer blades on everything because being able to just ramp stuff and move around areas and not so much worry about getting wrecked was really, really handy because good heresy tables have lots of terrain. The other thing is to make sure that you've got searchlights on at least half your tanks if you're going to be running quite a few tanks. Uh, otherwise, you get really, really hemmed in and hurt by night fighting. So overall, what do I think about the Predator? Well, I think that if you're going to take a Predator, you should absolutely take the last cannons on the Sponsons. That's my number one take from this at all. Um, let's say you're just planning on using it to shoot infantry. Quite honestly, uh, for 10 points, you are going to, even if you're just going to end up shooting like standard marines a heavy bolter is not in any way shape or form guaranteed to get you any infantry kills but a last cannon has a lot higher percentage to do that it's also going to help you instant kill anything with two wounds that you happen to shoot at provided it's at the standard space marine toughness as far as the other upgrades i think you might want to necessarily i mean you might just want to keep it cheap you might want to do absolutely nothing i would say that my overall all takers i just want to have one sort of list the Predator with the side-mounted last cannons on the Sponsons, and then the standard auto cannon, the Predator cannon, I mean, on the top, is probably your safest bet. Add a searchlight, add a dozer blade, and you're looking at 140 points for a Predator. And that's already getting kind of to the point where it's more than it might be worth. A Predator with armor value front 13, side 12, and rear 10, as I said, because the way vehicles work and then being assaulted... Uh, three hits, actually, no, it's not even right. You don't even have to roll the hit with crack grenades. A 10-man tactical squad, by all means, should have no problem hull-pointing out a Legion Predator if it can get into contact. Um, side 12 armor, front 13 armor is really not much to defend you against last cannons, Melta, any other sort of shenanigans that are coming your way. And it's only got three hull points. The Predator is not a super durable tank. It is definitely, in my opinion, not a go-to workhorse in most armies, at least unless it's got distraction carnifexes of some other kind to hide behind. So something else that I hadn't really considered or a connection that I hadn't made yet so far because I haven't been playing with as many of them is the fact that one of the things that we can do to consider the effectiveness overall of the Predator is to consider it in comparison with other things which do a similar job. In previous episodes, especially when we were talking about the Centurions, we were comparing the Tactical Marines to the Assault Marines. And, uh, oh my god, why can't I think of the name of the lads that just run around with the chainswords and, and bolt pistols? Whatever. You get the idea. I think it's important to realize that there is, in fact, something that is easy to compare the Predator to which might have a lot of very um, shockingly obvious uh, benefits to it when we take a look. So the Legion Javelin Squadron, ja land speeders, the way you've used them before, are a very good competitor for the spot that you might choose to take for the Predator and in some ways might be a, quite a lot better. So one thing that the Javelin has going for it is the fact that it is not an armored vehicle. It has a stat line as a cavalry now. So it is movement 14, the same as the Predator. It has the same ballistic skill as a Predator of 4, but it also has a weapon skill of 4, a toughness of 6, strength of 4, 4 wounds, 4 initiative, 2 attacks, and leadership 8, and then a 3 plus save. 
So all of this coming together, while the the it has one more effective wound in the fact that it's got four wounds to so the three hull points of the Predator, it can't be instant killed by a last cannon or a multi-melta. What else? It's anti-grav, so it really floats, it really flies. So the special rules that the Javelin has, it also gives Legionis Astartes, but it can deep strike. It can outflank. It has Relentless and Refiring Protocols for... It has Harbinger of the Legion, and it has Hit and Run, which basically makes it do the same thing that a Predator can do, which is that if it is in combat, it can pull out of it. Importantly, a Legion Javelin squadron cannot, cannot be hit with crack grenades because it's not a vehicle. Also, uh, it's Cavalry, Anti-Grav, and Heavy, so it will be able to re-roll saves from Blast Weapons. So the standard Javelin at 90 points comes with a heavy bolter and then the Cyclone Missile Launcher on the sides. If we're going to presume the same sort of desired output, okay, and then we're going to take a Javelin and we're going to want it to do the same things that our Predator is doing. I was impressed that it only costs 10 points to give the Predator two spawns and last cannons. Well, it's only five to give two last cannons to the Javelin. So now we're at 95 points for one of these models. Then there's not as many, there's not nearly as many options here, but you can take your heavy bolter and replace it with a multi-melta for only 10 points. Now earlier, when I was talking about the melta gun on the Predator, I kind of talked about how I wasn't a huge fan of the fact that you have to get so close to use it. Well, part of the reason why that's not such a great thing for the Predator is because of the Predator's basic vulnerabilities to tactical squads with crack grenades. Now, the Legion Javelin is an anti-grav weapon platform that can zoom 14 inches and can run. Um, it has a lot more ability to go around the table, ignoring terrain altogether, and get exactly where it wants to go to apply an up-close, within 12-inch, uh, multi-melta shot. It's really, really good. And to compare our two vehicles, let's say we're looking at an anti-tank option with the Predator to the Legion Javelin. So the Javelin for 90 points, plus 5 for our last cannons, plus 10 for our multi-melta is only 105 points. We're lacking some of the options. We don't have the dozer blade option, which isn't as big of a deal because we can hop terrain. We can take up to two hunter-killer missiles, so two additional crack shots, essentially. But if we assume that we're going to do both of those things and really just load this sucker up, then we're looking at 115 points for one Legion Javelin. On the flip side, let's say we are going to add the take the base Predator, which is 120 points. We're going to add two last cannons to take it to 130. And then we're going to add the 20-point uh, Magna Melta for our main gun. We are looking at 150 points for a Predator that can be bored down and destroyed with a single last cannon, that can be tied up and wrapped around by infantry, or hull-pointed out by the lowly tactical squad. I don't know what you're doing with your fast attack slots, but if you're given an option between the two, I feel like the Javelin is quite simply superior in basically every way that you could mention. 
this doesn't mean that I think you should be throwing away your predators or getting rid of them entirely, because that's definitely not the case. Predators definitely are still going to have a place in armies, and there's definitely things that you can do with them. If you're like me and you bought a whole bunch for Armored Spearhead, I would just be careful about what you do with them. I think I'm going to take some of the predators that I um, put together for this and maybe repurpose one or two of them for other legions just so I can have a one of in another slot for, you know, I don't know, maybe my Iron Warriors or maybe my, gosh, I don't know. We'll have to see. But regardless, like I said, it's not like the sky is falling so much. It's just that uh, predators are not going to be that intense, efficient choice that you put into the list. So if you're already looking at a list that's pretty full of cheese, this is a safe thing to add that is not necessarily going to make it a lot more broken and definitely something that will help you fill it out. And let's be honest, an individual one is actually pretty cheap. A lot of times you end up in a list with about 150 points or less than 200 points less in the army. Adding one predator, it looks thematic for almost any force and it will accomplish something without breaking the game. Next time we'll get into a more specific discussion about two other heavy support choices. We'll talk about the Leviathan Dreadnought and the Derrideo. Um, I have one of each coming for my Iron Hands just because I've never actually used a Leviathan and um, I really want to. And I also am looking for different ways to add a little bit of anti-air to my list or just have the option in the stable, so to speak, uh, but anyway, more on that next time. Well, that's a wrap on episode 11. Uh, thank you again for all of your continued support. It was so great to meet some of you at Adepticon, and may the next several months of your hobby continue on in a super productive way as well. There's going to be some more stuff coming, and might do some sort of narrative event in the coming weeks if I can figure out a way to pull it together, because I'd really like to see something similar to the Beta Garment event continue, but we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, regardless, other news, um, there are some new merchandise on the shop. If you are interested in helping support the channel, and I really would appreciate that very much. And uh, keep those questions coming to ineptusstartus30k at gmail.com, and you'll feature on the next episode. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care of yourselves.